Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome, new listeners, to I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast. I have been doing this podcast since April of 2013, and I have always been a podcast fanatic. I love listening to podcasts. I love hearing people talk about their lives. And the reason I started this podcast was at the time, I was on a TV show called Chelsea Lately, where I was appearing nightly, making jokes about celebrities. And then people could also see me on Drunk History, where I was getting wasted talking about history. And nobody really seemed to know who I was. Did they think people thought I was drunk like that all the time? Or they thought, oh, Jen only cares about Lindsay Lohan. And I felt like, you know what? I really want people to know who I am. And unfortunately, when I was on the road a lot, people would be at my shows screaming out, let's get drunk or whatever. And I thought, oh, they don't really know me. I'm not that fun. And so as a joke, I said, I'm going to do a podcast called I Seem Fun, meaning, but I'm not. And then I called it the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast because it was supposed to be a once a week and it still is solo podcast where I talk about what went on with me during the week, whether it's serious or silly you know, kind of curmudgeoning, complaining, whether it's something going on in the world, something political. I've cried on this podcast. I've taken you guys deep into my life, breakups and get back togethers and family stuff. It's just like your friend talking to you who's rude and doesn't let you get a word in edgewise. And it's off the top of my head every week. I prepare briefly the topics I want to talk about, but that's it. It's just a fun free for all where you can just see the real me. And, uh, I hope you enjoy it. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can listen on Google Play. You can listen on Stitcher. You can listen on SoundCloud. And uh, I'll give you a review from the Onion AV Club. What makes I Seem Fun? The Diary of Jen Cockman. Co- See, I can't even advertise my own fucking show. What makes I Seem Fun? The Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast funny is Kirkman's inherent knack for cultivating conflict, even talking into a microphone in a room by herself. Whether she's dissecting a negative iTunes review from an angry Christian or seriously considering a class action lawsuit against Robin Thicke for being gross, Kirkman is eternally embattled, but she tempers her cynicism with sweetness, and more often than not, she's right. That is from the Onion AV Club. So if you're curious, well, I guess you can start with this episode and go through the backlog. 
If you want to stay, here comes the podcast. You're about to get on the ride. I see fun. I see fun. The Diary of Jeff Kirkman Podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, this sounds good. This sounds good. I brought the old mic back. Well, I bought I bought it again because it had fallen apart. And when I went to purchase another microphone for the, my at-home rig, I went, well, why did I get it? I got the wrong kind. I got the, something that was more directional. I sounded hollow. I sounded amateur. I'm back. And this, isn't, this is the cheaper mic, and it's a better mic. Oh, my God, I seem fun. The Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 237. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends at Talkspace and our new friends at Suave. We'll talk about them in a moment. How is everyone? I'm back home in Los Angeles. I'm so happy to be home. Oh, my God. Can I just tell you something annoying? What, what would this podcast be without it? I'm just, listen to me. I don't know when it's, it's never going to stop. So I'm not complaining, um, thinking that there's ever going to be an answer. It's just, this is my release. When does stupid conversation stop? Like, if someone tells me something, I go, okay, I believe them. And then that way we can have an even more interesting conversation as we go deeper. But I hate when I talk to people and I say something and they go, no, I wasn't asking you what I thought. I'm telling you, here's some information about me. I'll be more specific. So I'm living in New York six months out of the year, not consecutively, to write on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Do I love the job? Uh, Of course. I wouldn't inconvenience myself like this if I didn't love the work. But there's work, and there's quality of life. And sometimes one is sacrificed for the other. And sometimes you get sick of that sacrifice, and you go, you know what? I'm really jonesing for my quality of life back. Now, I'm not talking about giant sweeping decisions I'm going to make in life. I'm just saying, like, can't wait to get back home. I lived in New York for two straight months this time. It was, I think, the longest chunk that I've been gone, and I was living in Airbnbs. Now, it's like dumb things that I can't explain. But, um, you know, like there's no laundry in this one that I was staying in. And so they have a million um, sheets and pillowcases, you know, enough to get you through. You could go months without, uh, having to wash them because there's that many, you could change them once a week. There's probably 30 pairs. Okay. So, but they all smell not badly. They just smell like scented detergent. And I have a real sensitivity to it. If I get into a car that has a car air freshener, I get nauseous. I'll get out of the car. I'm like, I'll be late. I'll just walk. <laughs> I'll just walk the, the hour to the airport with five suitcases. Um, so it's little things like that. Like my bed at home, the pillows are exactly <clears throat> to my liking. I have a very specific heaviness of my duvet. I have a the sheets I want, the unscented things. You know, it, you can't bring your whole life with you. And I don't own property in New York, so I am staying in other people's homes. Now, I do the type of Airbnbs where no one lives there. It's people who own the property and they just have it for the purpose of renting it out and making a profit. 
So that's always a little better because you're not surrounded by someone's stuff. You're just in a sparsely furnished, like, here's your coffee table, here's your couch, here's your, you know, side chair, here's the bed, here's the dresser, and then you bring, you know, your own clothing and whatnot. And it's not like I spent a ton of time in the apartment. It really was only in the morning and at night. To, it was like a hotel, like to sleep and to whatever. But I don't live that way normally. I'm normally home a lot and I normally don't work, you know, from an office all day long. And so I kind of missed my lifestyle in LA. And every time I would tell people, if they asked, are you looking forward to going back home? I thought it'd be an easy conversation. Yeah, I am just really missing it. Oh, why? Like, I don't know. My whole life's there. Like what? I don't know. Life. Like when you say your life, what do you think of? I mean, maybe because I'm not married and I don't have kids, but it's like all my friends, the exercise classes I normally go to, the grocery store, I mean, my car, my clothes. I mean, you bring a certain amount, you hope it gets you through, but just all the options. I have my, my, the way my desk is um, at home, the, the, my couch, my throw pillows, my scented candles, my, my bed, my, my life. I live, I live there, you know? I can't even get my mail. I have to have a friend get it once a week, and then she mails it to me, so I get my mail two weeks out. You know, just life. Just I mean, I don't see you not living at your house, you know? People would be like, oh, well, then why do you do this then? Because it's a great job. Like, I'm not, it's, a, it's like I feel gas. people accidentally gaslight you when they talk to you. They're like, then why do it? I'm like, well, it's a sacrifice I make for the job. But I'm just saying, like, I also sometimes I'm like, God damn it, do I wish I were back in L.A. Not really anything to do with L.A. It's just that that's where I live. So if I lived in Omaha, I'd be jonesing for Omaha. And, uh, you know, it's just... I've lived somewhere 16 years. I mean, uh, not in this apartment, but at least I've been in this apartment for five years. I don't know. I'm just, you know what, people, if you don't understand, I hate when people that aren't doing what you're doing are like, huh. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry, but you sleep in your own bed every night. How about you don't? Well, why would I do that? Well, exactly. That's what I'm doing. So don't tell me that, Argh. oh, you just miss LA. No, my bed. Why is it the bed, the thing you spend eight hours a fucking night in, if you're lucky. I'm trying to open this water. Hang on a minute. Don't worry. It's a glass. I have those glass jars reusable. Get them on Amazon. I buy six of them. I fill them up with water. It's not a plastic bottle. Um, Okay, so. What can I tell you? I'm in a great mood. But you know, I'm just, you know, I complain on this fucking podcast and, and I, maybe I should stop doing that. Maybe I am grateful. It's so much gratitude. So I'm just sick of dumb conversations. It's like, don't even bother me. Don't bother me with your dumb conversations. I, I've had the same conversation over and over. Why do you miss home so much? Because I haven't been there in two months. I mean, sometimes it's really that simple. It's not an interesting answer. Um, go to iTunes, give this show a review. Subscribe on iTunes. That really helps it be in the top 100. I don't even think it's in the top 7,000 anymore. Subscribe. Give it five stars. Write in the review. Why do you want to be home so much? Tell your uh, tell yourself to follow me on Instagram at Jen Kirkman. Follow the podcast on Twitter at I Seem Fun Podcast. Tweet at me. I'll tr- tr- tweet you a book. Facebook fan page. Facebook.com slash I Seem Fun Podcast. And you can go to my website, JenKirkman.com slash podcast, and check out 
uh, all the ways that you can listen to this. We're on Google Play and SoundCloud and Spotify and blah, blah, blah. And if you have any questions, comments, requests, send me an email, iseemfun at gmail.com. And I'm also part of the All Things Comedy Network. Go to allthingscomedy.com and find out about all the other great podcasts. And I'm also having some coffee. Okay. So much has been going on. But I'm not going to talk about any of that. Okay, Roseanne was canceled. And uh, a bunch of people wanted me to uh, talk about it. Or they, Actually, I got some requests for, to talk about the show when it was on. So I'll give you my opinions on the whole thing. People go, well, why would people work for her? I don't understand. And it's like, you know, when you work for a show... When you're in the writer's room, especially if the star of the show, especially if you're working on a show where the star of the show is, uh, I don't know how to explain it. For example, because the star of the show is so busy, it's not like they're sitting in the writer's room with you. So even on Chelsea lately, you know, she dropped in in the morning meetings. No, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah, this, yeah, that. And she's gone, you know. So only like upper senior level producers had to deal with her like 24 seven, I don't mean deal with her, but like had to interact with her 24 seven or interact with whomever is hosting the show or starring in it. So I don't know exactly what the environment was over at Roseanne, but most sitcoms I've worked on, like the actors in the show, they're nowhere near the writer's room. You know, it's, it's totally separate. You see them at the table reads, which is when you read the script out loud for everybody. And it's so that the production team can hear, oh, okay, so we're going to need a set of a coffee shop. Okay, great. And then the executives sometimes are in the room to give notes. Depends on what, you know, some shows they leave you alone. They don't give you notes because you're a proven success. And for the showrunners to hear like, oh, we could do better on that joke. Oh, okay, blah, blah, blah. So I don't blame anyone who takes a job and works for her because you have to put a little distance sometimes in your mind. Like you can't always be, you know, uh, starting a revolution. Like I'm not going to write for her. It's like, yeah, but if you don't get any other jobs that year, like this is your health insurance. If you're in the writer's guild and, um, you know, you might have a family, you might have your own self to feed. I don't know why people say like they might have a family to feed. It's like also feeding yourself and taking care of yourself. So you're not homeless. That's a concern. You know what I mean? You don't even need to have a family to understand the need to make money. You can't survive without it in this corporate economy. So you can't really blame anyone. And people, how could Wanda Sykes work for it? It's like, well, she's very successful in her own right. Um, but I don't question why a woman who's over 50 in Hollywood takes jobs that are given to her. Like it's ageism is real, even in a writer's room. And so, I don't know. I'm not even trying to imply that she had a hard time getting work or is a victim of ageism, but that's why I don't even comment on it because I know that that's always a reason for a lot of things people do. So I think you walk into it going, yeah, 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 Roseanne's always been crazy. And look, she has. She hasn't always been a uh, in this right-wing world, but she's always been nuts. And she's always been, I mean, she had a show called Roseanne's Nuts, but it was about her growing macadamia nuts in Hawaii. But, you know, she said she's bipolar. She said she's multiple personalities. I know they're two different things. She said that she said that she had alcohol issues. She didn't, she didn't. She's always been kind of out there. And I think 
you kind of hope that maybe this is just a passing phase. Maybe she'll stop doing it. But what was so difficult was, not difficult, but what it wasn't that what she did on the show was inappropriate. And it's not that being a Trump supporter was inappropriate, but what she was doing on Twitter and not even the comment that she made that, that ultimately went over the line, but she was retweeting conspiracy theories like Pizzagate, like Hillary Clinton is running a child sex trafficking ring in the basement of a pizza parlor that much like the Alamo in Pee Wee's Big Adventure does not have a basement. So, I mean, really things that, that get certain kinds of people riled up and cause violence. You know, someone went in and shot up that pizza place. I mean, just dangerous, dangerous conspiracy theories. And when you have that much power and that much influence, it's scary. So it also points to a little bit of unhingedness and that you're going to cause problems for a corporation that is trying to uh, not be involved in said backing of people who are doing these things. Um, Of course, there's problematic people that work for every single television network. There's problematic celebrities. But it's more like you hear a whisper about what they're like or maybe they drink too much. But this is like actually getting behind and, and... you know, poisoning the well of minds out there with conspiracy theories is a little dangerous. So, but I think, you know, a lot of times it's like, well, that doesn't mean that they're like that in real life, right? It's like on Twitter is where she goes to be that person. And I do believe from the people I know that have worked with her, um, whether past, present or future, like there's tons of people that have problems with her. And then, a lot of people that were like, no, but she didn't do that conspiracy theory shit around us in the writer's room. And then also a lot of times you're not in the writer's room that much. So I think people did it with the best of intentions. Like, Hey, you know what? Um, this isn't a show that's about believing in Pizzagate. It's a show about, you know, there's a gender neutral kid in it or what I didn't see it, but the kid that dressing, you know what I'm saying? Uh, one of the sons, right? One of the kids, Rona Roseanne's grandchildren is like, I'm wearing a dress or whatever. And then everyone in the family was a liberal, but her and pussy hats and this. So I get what she was trying to do. I I don't think there isn't room for a show about, I mean, it's basically Archie Bunker. It's like a conservative or not even a conservative. It's a special kind of conservative. It's a, it's a more, uh, lost soul kind of bigoted person who, whatever, and, and then everyone in the family is totally different and it's about, you know, you love each other anyway. Now I'm really radically against Donald Trump and I do know that he's a Russian agent and our government has had a soft coup. So it's, to me, it's like not cute to like, Oh, all sides, not all sides. We're not talking about your father's Republicanism. We're, we're talking about, we've been taken over in a soft coup. So in general, do I care about the Trump supporter on a sitcom no. But what what she thought she was representing was the working class. And I get it, but it's not the nineteen eighties. And in the nineteen eighties we had Reaganism, we had trickle down economics, we had a real gap between the rich and the poor. 
and they, they're, uh, you know, hey, how do we pay the bills? The Afghan on the couch, we had that family with, with the first iteration of Roseanne, and it was fantastic. But now working class is a radicalized term. The left and the right uses it. It doesn't really take into account the experience of uh, a lot of other things. It's become very white working class, um, is the excuse for everything. I only voted for Trump because I'm a white working class person who's an economic anxiety. And what it means is you're afraid that uh, someone black was president and that you... Do, do you know what I mean? It's like... It's sort of a cover for, not not the fact that people in the working class, of which my family is, uh, do not have economic anxiety, but that's been used as an excuse for a lot of racism and a lot of ignorance. So I think that what Roseanne thought she was doing was doing an old show like she did in the 80s. And then also you take into account that for some reason she has just convinced herself that Trump is okay, that Hillary's the devil, that everyone... It's not even a pro-Hillary thing on my part. I'm just saying, because uh, it's never been that for me. It's it's just been about the truth. And, and the truth is that it, Trump is not on your side if you're in the working class. And so I, I, it's like, yes, he manipulated and pandered to many people in the working class, uh, so you're representing the people that got manipulated, but you're not representing, um, anyone that the president actually cares about. So, you know, I was just, was like, oh, the show like thinks it's something, but it's not <clears throat> now. I have friends who worked on it and they came off the first season kind of queasy and some of them weren't going to come back and it was canceled anyway. Now, the fact that it was canceled um, is not taking away freedom of speech. She works for a corporation, and as an employee of a corporation, she wasn't representing it all that well. And it wasn't about something she said on the show. It was about, you know, it wasn't like she was doing entertainment. You know, like Samantha Bee said, cunt. Well, that's her show. That's what she does on the show might be like, oh my God, I can't believe she said that, but it's a satire comedy show. Roseanne, on the side, was in all dead seriousness uh, tweeting conspiracy theories and getting kind of unhinged. And like a big part of your job is being a spokesperson for yourself, your show, your network, the other people on it. It gets really hard at the end of the day to have one person represent so many other people. And... Anyway, who cares? I don't know why I got into this, but somebody had asked me before the show was canceled what I think of it. So what I think of it is like in general, we've totally got room for a show where there's a Trump supporter and everyone else in the family isn't. We've totally got room for that. And then on another level, I'm like, "Mm, it's not quite the same as, you know, I love Reagan. And it's like, this is just beyond anything we've ever seen. But what I don't get is... People are like, don't say she's mentally ill. It doesn't mean, mentally ill doesn't make you racist. It's like, no, it doesn't. But let me put it this way. I have depression and anxiety. And then in other times in my life, before I had a lot of tools, I had outrageous reactions to my own emotions. I would act up and act out in many different ways that were embarrassing to me as a grown woman in certain job environments, in certain relationships, just all throughout my life. There's just been inappropriate reactions to things. Now I happen to be a liberal 
who fucking, you know, uh, is a pretty good person. I don't think I'm racist, but as I look back over the years, I've certainly been completely blind to my white privilege. So give me, give an example. So probably about 14 years ago, right? 2004. Yeah. About 2004. I really didn't know what white privilege was. I mean, if you had told me, I'd be like, Oh, right. I really thought black men looked at white women as an ally. I know you're laughing. Because I thought, well, we're both up against the power of the white man. I didn't realize my whiteness trumped my woman status in the power structure. Of course, white women, you know, like white women weren't slaves. You know what I'm saying? Uh, So I had in Hollywood like a couple interactions just on the street. Um where a couple times, like, I did something, like, didn't look a certain way crossing the street or didn't do something, and I've had, like, black guys yell at me, like, you white bitch or whatever, and I was like, white? What does that have to do with And I talked about it. On, so there's one night I do this comedy show at what's normally a jazz club in um, West L.A., comedy show was running late. Of course, I was the headliner, which means going last. And the show wasn't timed properly. And so as they were like, you guys can finish up. The jazz band is just going to start setting up or like the audience for the other show is going to come in and have drinks. You know, it's fine. So I all of a sudden started performing for mainly like a black audience. And I was like, I need to talk to you about this stuff that happened today. Um, with the black guy saying white this, white that. And I was like, I'm sorry, are we not all on the same side against the white man? And so the black guys in the audience were like laughing and agreeing with me and being like, woo. Now, whether they were humoring me, whether we just at that moment in time really had the same opinion, I don't know. But nowadays, I would never make that joke because I understand white privilege. I'm not saying the guy should have screamed that at me, but I didn't even understand where it came from. I was like, what? Now, let, so this, why, how am I getting here? So let me say, so that's like a flaw of mine, right? That's like a, not quite overt racism. It's not quite hurting anybody, but it's, it's um, well, it does hurt people. And it's white privilege that I hadn't acknowledged. So, so on my evolution as a, as a progressive person, that, that little chip was missing, right? I also had depression and anxiety, Now, did I have that moment of white privilege because I have depression and anxiety? No, I just have both things. So like, that's my, like, that's my racism, right? So I had that flaw and I had depression and anxiety. So you can have both. So what people are talking about when they mention that she has depression and anxiety is that sometimes when you have it, especially if you really do have a more severe thing like a bipolar, you can go into paranoia. And so when you're in paranoia, you are perfectly, um, you are perfectly uh, susceptible to conspiracy theories about people that are evil and they're taking your things away and blah, blah, blah. So that, fe- that kind of personality type feeds into the racism. Now for me where my depression and anxiety would have coincided with my moment of white privilege, not just one moment, but that in that example is let's say 
that joke had not gone well and that discussion had not gone well. And the black guys in the audience were like, yeah, you asshole, like years of oppression, blah, 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 blah. Let's say in that moment, part of the, my depression and anxiety that I was saying in the past, I didn't have good reactions to things. I was defensive. I was a victim. I was a, so there could have been an incident where I'd be like, fuck you. That's not true. Like I'm one of the good ones, blah, blah, blah. And I, I might've made a scene, you know, or I might've gotten bitter or I might've been like, blah, blah, blah. It's like, so my reaction, so her reactions are that of someone who isn't well, her reactions to what's happening. And what went down after she got fired, her react or the can't control herself and not tweet conspiracy theories. Like how about be a secret crazy person, but she can't do it. So that's why people are mentioning both. Nobody's saying like, please excuse her racism. She's sick. Obviously not everyone who has mental illness is racist, but not everyone who's, um, has mental illness is exempt from also having other things that a human fucking being has. And some humans are racist and homophobic and sexist and classist and whatever. So it's just, unfortunately, with a loose cannon like Roseanne, she's not going to apologize and learn from it. She's going to double down. And that behavior is where her mindset comes in. So I don't really get when people are like, I'm sorry, but she's racist. Like, no, she is also mentally ill. You're both things. So I I don't know. I hate unnuanced things. I don't have, I I think, I think it's just time for new heroes in a lot of ways. You know, Roseanne was a big influence on me when I got into comedy. Um, just reading her bio was really inspiring. And of course I loved the show and, uh, but it's okay. I'm, I'm ready to let that hero go. It, it, she, she brought me to the table, so to speak, like knowing about her and, and watching the show as a kid, like brought me to the table of being a comedian. And I got it from here. You know, I don't need to hang on to the heroes. Um, she inspired enough women that they keep carrying the torch and we'll keep carrying it. And, you know, everyone's heroes will get better and better, more woke. So that's me. But so the pilot I sold, The Mighty Quinn, to ABC, and again, when you sell a pilot, this is what it means. You go into ABC with a very detailed pitch. Hi, I'd like to pitch you a show. This is what I see happening over the course of two years. Blah, 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 blah. They go, that sounds great. Here is some money. Now write the pilot. The pilot would be the first episode. So you go write it. It takes three months. And over December break, uh, like Christmas through New Year's, they make a decision. And in January, you find out if they're going to film the pilot. Now, if they film the pilot, it still doesn't mean you have your own TV show. It means they film a pilot, and then they put it through all this testing, and then if people like it, then they pick up the series, which you find out about in May. So the whole development process goes from September to May. If your pilot gets bought, meaning they pay you to write it, but it doesn't get filmed, your development process is September to January. You're done. And if they don't buy the pilot, your development process is one day in September. (laughs) You pitch, you're done. Okay. So I've known since early January that they weren't buying it. Once you hand in the script and even a little bit before it, you've already started to detach from the outcome because there's, you have to just live as though it's not getting picked up. You can't be like, what's that? You want me to work? 
at this place? Well, I might not be able to because my pilot might get picked up and then I'd have to film it. It's like, just say yes to everything and just work it out later if your pilot gets picked up. Because it's so one in a million that if you take another job, they understand if you have to go. So I'm not sad because it's like all bit like there's enough that was annoying about it that I was like, oh, you know what? I don't need to go through this again. Like, I'm glad it was just for the pilot. Like, I'm good. And then there was enough I loved about it that I'm like, oh, that sucks. It would have been a great show. But I'm always just like, whatever will be, will be. You can't, you just got to keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. So, but the article that came out last September when I sold the pitch. So, you know, this big article will come out in Deadline Hollywood or all those like trade magazines, Variety. ABC buys Jen Kirkman's The Mighty Quinn and it makes it seem like you have your own show and every fucking year it's the living hell of everyone sending you resumes like congrats on all your success with your new TV show it's like it's not a TV show it's a fucking script I'm sitting alone in my pajamas in my apartment writing it the check won't clear for four months go away so um I retweeted like I took the link from that deadline article from September. And I tweeted, Hey, if ABC had bought my show, instead of putting Roseanne back on the air, they wouldn't have these problems. Like it was like a subtly throwing shade, like being funny. Ha ha ha. And all these people were like, yes, congratulations, Jen. I'm like, what? No, I said, I said, if ABC had bought, so me, I'm not on the air. And then if you click into the article and read it, you'll see it's from September and it says they've picked up the script. So even my joke backfired. Like everything I did this week, nobody understood a fucking word I was trying to say. I'll like, oh, forget it. Then people were like, so well deserved. And I'd be like, no, it's a joke. My show. Okay. Forget it. Oh my God. Great story, Jen. How do you do it? But it's like, um, I compare it to the fashion industry. So like, I literally don't enjoy much entertainment. I just watch documentaries about fashion, like anything I can find. And <laughs> You know, for them, it's always about like the next season, the next season, you know, your spring show is being developed in December and blah, blah, blah. And in this one, Karl Lagerfeld, who's such a cunt face, he was sitting there and the interviewer was asking him how long he's known this certain fashion editor. And he's like, the answer is like 25 years. And he's like, mm, well, in fashion, you know, we don't look back we don't have a past, you know, it's only about the next six months. It's like, no, I get it. He's like, but you've known people, you've known people 25 years. You might not go, uh, Hey, so you're really successful because of that collection you had in 1998. I can see where the answer is. Oh, well, no, you know, that's in the past and I'm only as good as my next show. I get that. But you don't go, I haven't known this person for 25 years cause I'm in fashion and we can only look ahead six months. So oh, forget it. Then, then commit to it. Then sit next to that woman and go, who the fuck are you? And get confused and run away. So, sorry, is that the grossest sound when I just get ooky when people um, sip liquids on a podcast or a radio show? I'm like, gross. I even, even, and you know, like on TV shows, people aren't even like really eating. So I hate the sound of clinking forks. I'm like, <laughs> how about no more scenes where people are having dinner? Stop clinking the forks. I guess that's my little like bugaboo as they call it. Or it could be OCD. I don't know. But you know what? If you have a problem and you want it diagnosed, speaking of that, you could go see a therapist. I know you don't have time. You don't have insurance. How are you going to find one? Well, you got the internet, don't you? Do you go on Yelp to find a good carpenter? I guess it's not the same. This, 
but that really made no sense, my analogy, and I apologize. I apologize to the executives at Talkspace, but I am here to tell you about my favorite sponsor, Talkspace. Now, Talkspace allow. Sorry, I got distracted. Listen, I have ADHD, and I know this because I go to therapy. Talkspace is the online therapy company that allows you to improve your mental health from anywhere at any time. All you need is a computer or some kind of phone or some kind of something. You can get matched with a licensed therapist from over 2,000 choices that you make. They do not just stick you with someone. And you can message them whenever you need to. You don't have to commute and you don't have to be worried about anyone judging you sitting in the waiting room. Although why would someone in the waiting room of the therapist judge you? But you know what? People are judgy. Sometimes I do that. I sit in the waiting room and I'm like, well, I'm going to therapy because, you know, I I need to talk about this and that. And then I'll see um, two other people sitting there waiting when I'm on my way out. I'm like, oof, they got marital problems. Um, But with Talkspace, you're not going to have someone like me judging you because only you and your therapist is going to know. Talkspace.com slash Jen. Go there right now and read all about it. Use code Jen at checkout, and you are going to get $45 off of your first month, and obviously show support for this show. But these are real licensed therapists with thousands of hours of practice, master's degrees, the whole thing. And you get to match with your perfect therapist based on what you want. All you need is a computer or the Talkspace mobile app. Talkspace.com slash Jen. Imagine therapy as easy as sending your therapist a message. You can use it to get something off your chest whenever you need to. Talk about everyday challenges at work or at home. Chat about life. It doesn't have to be about digging into your innermost thoughts and childhood memories, but it also can be. And that can absolutely be done on an app like Talkspace. You don't have to sit there in front of someone. In fact, some people are more comfortable without that added thing. They feel like they can loosen up a little bit if they're not exactly sitting face-to-face with that person. Sometimes therapy can just be about practical, everyday strategies for a stress, uh, stress-free life, living a happier life, stress management. It's really just a designated... It doesn't mean you're crazy. It means you've got a designated person for you to talk to who is trained to listen. And that's the important thing. They are trained to listen in a different way than your friends listen at lunch. You will not be judged by a therapist. And they help you make positive changes. Again, this is a fraction of the price of traditional therapy. Go to Talkspace.com slash Jen. Use code Jen to get $45 off your first month and to show your support for this show. And, of course, I welcome our fun new sponsors at Suave. Now, I have to tell you guys, it's not quite the same as some of the other advertisers we have on here because I can't give you a code. I'm just telling you, go out in the world and buy this product. So if you have been using the Suave shampoo, as I told you to do last week, tweet me at Podcast or email iseemfun at gmail.com. Or put it on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Podcast, and let me know, and maybe I'll read it on a future ad. But Suave Shampoo, now I never thought about Suave Shampoo. I was thinking of like, oh, body lotions and wash, and Suave's probably like, would you shut up? But but I'm just being honest. This is my story. And um, I'd heard there was like a sort of a new Suave Shampoo, and I went to the drugstore when I was going to my Airbnb. Uh, I never travel with toiletries anymore. It's too much of a pain in the butt. I can, I can just buy them all when I get there, especially if it's a longer stay. And so I got the Suave Coconut Oil Infusion Damage Repair Shampoo. And I'm telling you, 
It's fantastic. A lot of, now I, they didn't tell me to say this, but I'm telling you, there's a lot of drugstore brands out there that sure can make your hair feel soft, but it's building up all this like oily residue. And after a few days of using it, your hair just feels oily and it's actually really not good for your hair. This is not that. My hair is completely, now this is my own choice, but I put these uh, like white blonde streaks in my hair, which that in and of itself is damage. And then on top of it, I blow dry it and then I use a curling iron for waves. (laughs) So I'm just ruining my hair every day. And so every day I need to repair it. So I use Suave Damage Repair with Coconut Oil Infusion. It's shampoo and conditioner. It smooths my hair. And it makes it look so healthy. Well, it doesn't make it look healthy. It, make, it actually is healthy because you've got that coconut oil infusion. It actually works. Don't take my word for it. You, they have a money-back guarantee. So go try it for yourself. Suave for a hair you can believe. Go do it, people. And they have all different other kinds. I'm just telling you the one that I picked was the damage repair. If you're not stupid like me and you don't damage your hair, then one of, the other, one of their other lines will work for you. But for me, I'm telling you, Ladies, men, anyone with hair that's damaged, you got to do it. Uh, you know, that's the other thing. It's not just about like all those like things you spray into your hair before you curl it or put it's It's like your shampoo when your hair is wet. Your shampoo and conditioner actually is what helps build the strength back in your hair, nourishes your hair back to life so that you can go damage it again because we're never going to stop damaging it. So let's just start using products that actually help us. And I'm telling you, and I know Suave, a lot of places are like, don't say anything about competitors. I'm not going to say names, but I have used like $40 shampoo that has caviar in it. I have used shampoo made by celebrity hairstylists. I've, I've not even gotten through half a bottle before I've given it away. They don't work. I, I was blown away with the Suave. So take it from me. I don't advertise things I don't use. Suave coconut oil infusion, damage repair. Again, if you don't have damaged hair, there's more in the Suave line for you. But come on, I know we all damage our hair. So go enjoy it. And uh, yeah, tweet at me if you like it, at I Seem Fun Podcast. All right, what else can I talk about? Oh, I feel like it's too political up front. So boring. Blah, 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 blah. Working class. Okay, can we talk about the French guy who saved the baby? Do you know what I'm talking about? Hang on, let me just... I want to see if there's any updates, because I had questions about this. I actually don't believe it. I mean, I believe he did that, but there's just a lot going on. They call him Spider-Man. Okay. So France offered citizenship to this guy. He was a, uh, a guy from Mali. Okay, the latest article... It's from May 28th. I feel like he hasn't got... Okay. A West African migrant is being... Pra- I always feel like that word is a bad word. Like, but I mean, I guess it's, it's a technical word, but it sounds like a slur to me. Is being praised in France for scaling a building to save a boy hanging from a fourth floor balcony in Paris. The man, uh, Mamoudou Gassama, will be made a French citizen. Gassama's act was caught on video and went viral on social media. The incident happened on Saturday night in the north of Paris. Uh, the Malayan migrant told French media. I'm probably saying this country wrong. He was in the neighborhood to watch a soccer match in a local restaurant when he heard people screaming and cars honking in the streets. Now, I'm 
such an asshole, I'd be like, oh, it's because they're listening to the soccer match on the radio. I would never be like, something terrible must be happening outside. Let me run out and try to help. In fact, if it even dawned on me that something terrible was happening outside, I would run further into the restaurant. I would ask them, do you have a secret closet that's inside your bathroom, preferably in your basement? Um, Or I would just look out the window to see what was happening, but I wouldn't get out there myself. So Um, when he saw the young child dangling from a balcony, he climbed up four floors of the apartment building and rescued the boy in less than one minute. It was pretty crazy. I mean, he just like (laughs) climbed up using his hands and legs, like balconies of a building. It wasn't a fire escape. Um, when emergency services arrived at the scene, he'd already pulled the child to safety. The child was slightly injured. He's 22 years old. He met French president, um, Macron. Um, I did not really think. I started climbing directly. As I was climbing up, I felt more and more confident. Bravo, replied the French president. Um, It took less than 48 hours for French authorities to respond to his wish to be made a citizen. Okay, so I'm watching the video. And you can find this anywhere. I'm watching it on abcnews.go.com. So all these people are screaming. So now he's on the first floor. There's a child dangling by one arm. Just holding on for dear life with one arm. But there's a man on the balcony with the kid, right next to the kid. And why isn't he saving the kid? And then here comes this guy they call Spider-Man, and he climbs up, and now he's hanging right next to the kid. He lifts himself over the... Okay, so he's sort of straddling the balcony, and with one hand, he grabs the kid. So the kid is hanging off the balcony by his left hand. So then this guy climbs up the building, straddles the balcony, and grabs the kid by the hand that he's hanging from. So there's no, you know, if that kid freaked, and he would have dropped him. But he, he just grabbed him right by the hand. So maybe you needed that specific angle, but the guy on the balcony with the child could have put his leg over the side. It, it, if you watch the video... And I'm serious. Will you watch the video and email me? Because I need to keep talking about this. Watch the video. Give me your opinion. I seem fun at gmail.com. There were, it looks like even like two people were on the, the balcony with the child and not one article. Okay, here's another one. I guess what I'm saying is the child's father, all they had to do was lean over and grab the child under the armpits and pull him back up. It was a little toddler. Remember when Michael Jackson was dangling that baby over the balcony? Like he could have just, okay. I I really don't understand why that guy needed to scale a building when the guy didn't have to do it. Um, the child's father, who's, who was believed to have left the boy alone while out shopping. Jesus is now under investigation by authorities. Um, that's all, but they don't mention like, yeah, going out shopping and leaving your kid alone is not a great idea. But what about if you're standing next to him on a balcony that he's hanging off of by one arm and you could totally just reach over and pull him back up? I don't, why is no one talking about that? So somebody else watch this and tell me what you think and tell me why you think, is there some physics reason why the father didn't just reach over and get the kid? Or was that not even the father in the video that was standing there? Was it a a hotel uh, manager that was nervous about uh, attempting it? 
Like I said, it didn't take as long as I thought. But I have questions. Um, oh, so another Twitter thing. I, you know what? The, the, you guys, we don't have time for all the outrage. And this is where I can fucking smack Bernie Sanders across his little fucking face. Is he got young people so outraged about money. It's like, you're broke, you're young. Okay? Get the fuck over it. I know college is expensive, but the Wall Street bankers aren't taking money to your fucking mouths. I mean, on the global grand scale, yes, they've cheated. They did things we could never get away with. But I got to tell you this. I understand the college thing. Hopefully we'll get there. But this notion that you are constantly being made fun of by rich people is not happening. Uh, Let me give you an example. And I'm not rich, but when you're young, sometimes you think of everything as temporary. You have 10 roommates, you have shitty towels, you have, you don't have curtains because you don't even think about that shit. It's not, it's not even just that you don't have money. It's that you don't prioritize because I am not going to hear from another fucking young person who's writing to me from their computer or cell phone. That is a computer. When I was in my twenties, I was literally broke. I didn't have a cell phone. I had a pager. Cell phones were invented. It was too expensive for me. And I had a pager and I used to pump quarters into a fucking payphone on the streets of New York in 1999 when my manager would text me, Oh, you have an audition. Also, I didn't have a laptop. I couldn't afford it. I had a word processor. Well, during when people had laptops, it was too expensive for me. And I prioritized. I was like, well, I'd rather buy clothing or groceries or whatever. So this victim mentality, I'm not talking about systematically poor or people from a a demographic where you just can't get ahead. I'm talking about just your basic middle-class kid who's like broke in their 20s. Don't get bitter about that. That's You're not the generation. You're not the demo that um, is underserved in society. You're just young and broke. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry that this politician that's like a grifter hippie made you feel angry at the world, but he's doing a disservice because he's a disruptor. And, and you'll see sooner than later. But anyway, I can't believe I'm back on that horse. I mean, I've always been on it, but I've been trying to be quiet about it. But I was just so angry. So I watch a lot of cat videos on YouTube. No big deal. And I'm like, anyone who ever films anything on YouTube always has the worst decor in their home. I don't mean they're poor. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's always like, can you pick up your clothes off the bathroom floor? Could you maybe wipe the mold off the tiles in your bathroom? Could you maybe, uh, because if you have a phone here, right? And you have a pet. I don't even have a pet because I find the added expenses would bother me. Um, so don't give me your I'm poor shit if you have a, a home and a phone and a pet. You're not, you're not poor, okay? Talk to a real poor person, they'll tell you that. But it's always like some dude or someone, it's like, you know, they've got like sheets over their windows as curtains. It's laziness. It's people don't want it. And so I said, hey, uh, before you film a cat video, maybe clean the sheets you use on your windows as curtains. A bunch of young people wrote back, wow really didn't think I would hear this from you. What if they don't have money to have curtains? It's like, fuck yourself. You're going to get outraged about that. I'm obviously not making fun of someone who can't afford to have some kind of um, velvet curtain arrangement that a designer came over and did. Hey, use sheets as curtains. You know what you can do? You can buy a rod at the 99 cent store for 99 cents. And you can cut holes in the top and you can ruche it 
put it through the rod, and make it look like fucking real curtains. You could do that. Instead of just thumbtacking a sheet over a window. It looks fucking weird. Or you, I bet you could find something. You could take your little uh, iPhone, go on Etsy, maybe spend, you have five bucks. If you have five dollars. There's really ways you can get curtains. There's absolutely ways. Do you have a friend that uh, is in some kind of school, like a seamstress friend that wants to practice on you? You could barter something with them. Hey, I'll walk your dog if you make me some curtains. I mean, don't be a fucking asshole. It's not like, oh my God, if they have sheets on their window, their life is really bad and there's nothing they can do. They have to have those sheets and Jen is so rich and out of touch and she's so mean and I am outraged at this tweet. I mean, literally, if that's you, take a look at yourself in the mirror and fuck yourself. Take a toothbrush, put up your bum, or put up your whatever you put things up. I'm sure my, I hope my sponsors have stopped listening at this point. I'm going to write to them because they told young people to put a toothbrush up their bum. And the next Roseanne scandal. Anyway, I'm just saying Twitter's not fun. It's not fun. You people are ruining it. Now, I don't mean to pick on young people, but when you're older, you'll see that there's just a difference in all the different. Anyone that's 20 years different than you, you, you feel different than. And now this isn't bad or good, but it's just, I've noticed this about people in their 20s. I don't even know what generation this is, but someone in their early 20s has literally, they've never lived in a world without the internet, computers, whatever. So I live, I lived my first 22 years, like really without the internet, computers. It, it was like not a thing. So there was a lot of like, like we had a cl- like we had a a day in fifth grade where we learned how to write checks. You know, I mean, there was just a lot of. I worked at a grocery store before this boop technology. You know, there was just a lot of eye contact and explaining things to people and and that kind of interaction that I've always had. So when I don't get that now, I'm not saying it's bad or good. It's just different, and I have to recalibrate. So like you guys, younger people who are with the computer since birth, you have a different um way of going about things. Again, literally not saying it's bad. It's just totally different. And it's normal to you. And then to us people who are like, oh, we're just coming into this stuff like later. It's strange. So I'll give you an example. Like, um, I go to this place, the wing, which I fucking love. And it's like a women's workspace. There's, they're in New York. They're going to be opening up all different places. So I go there sometimes before work or after work or on weekends and I work on my own stuff and there's like a beauty room and free coffee. It's just the best and it's beautiful. And all the people there are just lovely women. And, but some of them are young, you know? Um, so I lost my, there's like a membership card and you swipe it when you come in. Well, I lost my card. It must've been in a pair of pants somewhere. I know that you can just make another card and give it to me, but I wasn't sure of their policy. Like, would I have to show some kind of ID? Would I have to pay for it? Like, I didn't know, you know? So I come in one morning and I said, hey, I I don't have my card. And I said, honestly, I don't know if I've lost it for good or if it's just in this pair of pants at home. So is there any way to get me in today? And then I'll look for the card. And the woman goes, your name? And I give her my name and she just stares at the computer typing. Doesn't say, oh yeah, that's, we have a process for that. Oh, no problem. Oh yeah, that's easy. We just give you a new card. Give it a week. Oh, no problem. I'm just going to sign you in by this. Oh, no problem. You just need to give me your data. Nothing. Just typing and going, hmm, hmm. 
Hmm. And I'm so I'm babbling because I th- I go I mean I swear I, I'm a member here I have an all access card um, I, I have some emails that I've exchanged with you guys and I can I can show you my credit card statement that with the, the monthly charges she's not even answering me it's not being rude it's just literally being in a different generation like basically she's doing her job so I come in I lost my card so whatever the process is when someone loses their card she's going right into it getting it done. But zero communication about what she's doing. I have seen this with literally every single person in that age group. Like when I need help with something or I send an email, they just don't write back. They get it done, but they just like never write back. It's the weirdest fucking thing. I'm like, no, no. Like, so I'm like, I'll probably have to get used to like, that's going to be phased out in the next 20 years. Like, I'm not going to teach an entire generation how to make eye contact and explain something to me. So or even go like, oh yeah, we got that. Because I used to work at Boston Ballet as like a customer service person. And I remember like there was this, you know, the ballet was like losing money. It wasn't like doing as well as it always did, which is heartbreaking. And there's this really giant theater in town in Boston called the Wang Center. And then there was a smaller one. And they moved uh, some of the ballet performances to the smaller theater which means subscribers, which are all older people, right? Because in my generation, you, like my generation wouldn't subscribe to ballet tickets. You buy a ticket if you feel like going at the last minute. And the way the institutions like Boston Ballet and other things like that, the opera have run for so many hundreds of years is that people buy subscriptions. And that's kind of an older person's game, like 60 and over. So I'm there, the Boston Ballet is, it's transitioning from, just being an older person subscriber based thing to like young people who come and go, they might see one ballet, but not the other, as opposed to a subscriber who sits in the same seat and goes to every single fucking ballet, whether it's a Russian ballet or a modern dance or whatever. So unfortunately, when you, when your entire ballet company moves from a giant theater to a smaller one, I had to call the subscribers who've been subscribers for 20 years and explain to them, you're still a subscriber, but there isn't enough room in the new theater that we're moving to for you to sit front row A center. So we're going to have to move you to front to row B center aisle. And it was like, you were just undoing these people's worlds. They were like, what? And it was like, I wasn't just explaining to them hey, our company's doing this fucking thing because we feel like it. You know, like I was reading a book about this woman who worked in fashion and she used really high quality leather. And then um, when these like, you know, Wall Street assholes, see, I can hate that too. When they bought her out as her company was becoming worth millions and millions to make even more profit, they wanted to cheap out on the leather. And it was like, how do you explain that to your customers? Like, oh, the richer we get, um, the more we're going to, make your shoes less quality. Like it doesn't make sense. As in Boston ballet, it was like, we don't want this to be happening. Like we're losing money. We might have to go out of business. So this is a way we can save ourselves. Please don't leave. So I had to explain to these people, the world is changing. Like because of people, my age, people, your age aren't getting to have the security of your ballet subscription because this notion of subscribing to the ballet did not continue to catch on generation after generation. Like you're a dying breed. And now I'm here and I wish, uh, that it wasn't this way, but it is this way. So I had to 
talk to these people, explain to them their options, explain to them the new seat, and then basically just to give an overview of how the world was changing. And so I totally get it. Like I've been the young person explaining that to older people. But can you imagine if it was a thing where they just called me or somehow came to the box office and I was just, because I'd used computers all my life and was just a different kind of thing. And they were like, what am I going to do about my seats? And I just looked at them and didn't answer. Like their whole life was falling apart and I had to talk them through every step. Like there wouldn't have been a world where they would go, what are you going to do? Where I would just not answer them and do it and then go, okay, we took care of it. Like that's not even a thing. I would have been fired, you know, but again, that wasn't the world yet because I was using like a specific work computer that had a seating chart, but it was like barely the internet. Like I don't even think I had email, you know, so I totally get it. Uh, great story, Jen. Do you have any more stories like this? Um, Let's talk about this. Somebody said, um, last week you spoke about your yoga practice. I, I have to say, I wouldn't even call it a yoga practice. I just hit up yoga sometimes and experience with hot yoga. I also practice and teach yoga and I always enjoy your commentary on your yogi experience. I've been torn about Bikram yoga. I've been listening to the new ESPN 30 for 30 podcast season that talks about the Bikram story. What's your take on Bikram the person and Bikram the practice? Have a great week. Well, here's my answer. I don't go to the actual places that are called Bikram yoga anymore. And if anyone wants to know, Bikram is, is the hot yoga. Um, so there's all different kinds of yoga. Like, you know, there's like vinyasa yoga and like maybe what they would call power yoga now where you're like doing certain moves like sun salutation into downward dog, into upward dog, into blah, 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 blah. And then there's um, other kinds of yogas where it's the room is heated with humidity, like over a hundred degrees and you're sweating and you're holding poses, but the pose, poses are different. Um, now they've also made like hot yoga where you are flowing and doing all this stuff. But Bikram was more a series of poses, very specific poses. And, um, what they say that can be dangerous about that kind of hot yoga is that your muscles limber up so much that, you could overstretch. So if you're stretching yourself uh, more than you would without the heat, you could actually hurt your muscles. So in that way, um, hot yoga may not be great for everybody, but uh, because I'm aware of this, I don't let that happen. So there's that. Um, Whoops, sorry. So, um, but so because of this guy, and I'll tell you about him in a minute, I don't go to places called Bikram, which was this guy's name. And many of the Bikram, because he's a sexual harasser, who knew? I need you all to be in a hot yoga where you don't wear a lot of clothes, and my name is Bikram, and I'm going to end up being like a complete creep. Um, so a lot of the places don't want to be associated with his name, so they've changed the names of their places, but they do the same poses. And that's fine with me. Like, I don't because he's a terrible creep, it doesn't mean that I want to do the poses in the sequence that he came up with any less, you know? Um, I don't like yoga that much. Um, but I like to go to the hot ones cause I love the feeling of sweat. Um, because I hate doing cardio. The only cardio I do is hiking and walking. Um, I love Pilates is like my only form of exercise I like doing. Um, so I say hot yoga and people think Bikram because it's become like Kleenex and tissue. Like there's, there's other places. There's 
um, moksha yoga or modo, M-O-D-O. Um, moksha was started in Toronto and they call it modo here in America. And there's ones, um, in, in New York and LA. And then there's core power yoga, which is, um, in a lot of cities across America. Like there's ones in like Arizona and I think in, I mean, like Tucson and Denver and blah, blah. And, um, those are one hour classes and they're very physical, like workout oriented and hot yoga, but you might do some weights in it and all that stuff. So I like any of that stuff, but, um, yeah. So basically with this guy, I mean, this was, this was a couple years ago, but arrest warrant issued for Bikram Shaudhri, the hot yoga guru accused of sexual harassment. Um, he's so gross. I'm looking at this picture. Um, for many of the guru's millions of followers worldwide, Bikram's signature hot yoga performed in sweltering, sweaty rooms is a euphoric spiritual practice that promotes healthy, peaceful living. I never found it spiritual. Over the course of about two years, the yoga tycoon has faced numerous sexual assault allegations and lawsuits, and now attorneys say he's on the run, dodging court hearings and legal judgment. I'm laughing just because of a yogi running. The 73-year-old guru, the founder, has yet to pay any of the $6.8 million awarded last year to his former attorney, who alleges she was sexually harassed by him and fired after investigating claims from a student that he had raped her. He has denied the allegations. I mean, this guy is a piece of shit. On Wednesday, this is articles from a couple years ago, a California judge issued a warrant for his arrest, ordering him to hand over the proceeds from his business to satisfy the judgment. Bail was set at $8 million. It's been a long road chasing this guy down. Um, one attorney told the Washington Post, I don't want to say it's done, but it's awfully close. He's got nowhere else to go. So Bikram is a three-time national yoga champion in his native India, created his system of yoga in the 70s, turning it into a global empire. It consists of 26 poses done in a 105-degree room for over 90 minutes, blah, blah, blah. Um, but... Uh, Jaffa Bowden, who worked as head of legal and international f- affairs at Chaudhry's yoga school, said there was a grim side to the business. He sexually harassed and inappropriately touched her, tried to get her to stay with him in a hotel suite, subjected her to obscene comments about women and minority groups. She accused him of pressuring her to cover up his sexual harassment of women. She tried to put her foot down and stop this man. He threatened her life. He threatened her family's life. See, this is what I'm talking about. I talked about last week. Is he fucking hippies? You can't fucking trust them. If you think someone is a good person because they're a spiritual hippie doing yoga or, you know, let's say a senator screaming about um, uh, uh, millionaires and billionaires, don't be so naive, okay? Um, now, I'm not saying he's a sexual harasser, but he's a tool. Last year, she successfully sued Chaudhry, alleging gender discrimination, wrongful termination, and sexual harassment during her time working for him. Um, He's gone, uh, he's undergone a sham divorce to hide his resources. He can't be reached for comment. Of course, he's denied everything. He said, women like me, women love me. So if I really wanted to involve the women, I don't have to assault the women. Ugh, one of the classic excuse. He has 44 luxury cars, including Bentleys and Rolls Royces and a warehouse in California. Ugh. He has plenty of money to satisfy the judgment. He just won't. He's been in Acapulco, Mexico, so I guess he's just kind of hiding out there. Um, he's nurtured a cult-like devotion among followers that allowed him to take advantage of female students. That devotion and fear of being exiled from the yoga community kept victims and others from speaking up. Gross. I hate this guy, you guys. I hate Bikram. Well, sorry to end on 
probably something that's upsetting. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll read another thing. Oh, here it is. So I was asking you guys to tell me about your friends that annoy you on social media. So uh, it was based on an article I read a couple weeks ago. So we've been, we have another one. Hi, Jen. So there are ter- several types of guilty friends on Instagram. The overposter, we don't care that you're at the grocery store. The novelist, if you have to scroll to read the caption, it's too long. Oh, I know I have. The mega mom, oh my God, your kid blinked today. But the worst is the fit friend. I'm sorry, but no one wants to look at photos or worse, watch videos of you working out. We get it. You exercise. Maybe you even enjoy it, but we don't need to experience it with you. And all those beach body and other coaching pyramid schemes just seem to make the fit friend more pervasive on my feed. No, thank you. I know. I feel, I would never want people to see me working out. Like I don't want to, I might do like a funny video. Like I remember one time, well, it was very hilarious guys. I was running late for something. I thought I could squeeze in like a Pilates class before getting on a plane. And I was, I could have, if I hadn't lost my car in the parking garage of this place I went to and I was running around trying to find it. And I took a video of myself that just happened to be wearing kind of a workout outfit, but you can only see like the top. It wasn't like, here's my bum. Like I just don't want people looking at my body in that way. You know, it's just like, look, everyone get away. There's enough creeps on the internet. There's enough creeps in the fucking class. Okay. Now it went back to Bikram. See, I was trying to end on a different note, but I guess I guess I failed a happy, uh, blatant, belated Memorial Day weekend. Um, Thank you to all our listeners who have uh, risked their lives to protect our great nation. And I'm sorry that uh, to anyone who's uh, died doing it that we've let you down by letting a Russian agent take over in the White House. But I saw some sailors walking through New York City last week. And what I love about the sailors in their whites is it looks like they're in a musical. It looks like on the town. And they're walking usually in Times Square. And so it looks, it literally looks like someone in a musical is wearing their costume and walking around the street. And I, a bunch of people were stopping these sailors and getting selfies. And I was like, I'll do it too. So I asked them and I was like, are you guys, is this fleet week? And they're like, yep. I'm like, what do you do? You just get to wander around New York and do whatever. They're like, yeah, pretty much. I'm like, that's fun. And I was like, honestly, because you're like in the theater district, you look like you could be in a, a theater production of On the Town. And they didn't know what On the Town was. And I feel like they were probably offended, like, hey, thanks. Like, we're, you know, fucking serving the country. And you're telling us we look like a couple guys in tights. I'm like, I didn't mean it that way. And, you know, so, I don't know. I, I can't talk to sailors. That's just That's just what I've learned this week. Until next week, have fun.